invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. Our reading today comes from Psalm 46, verses 8 through 11. Let's read together. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Be still and know that I am God. I wonder what it would look like in our lives if we let those words sink in and penetrate down to every part of our lives, every part of us, every, every aspect of our lives. What would it look like? we were still and knew that God is God in everything, if we surrendered everything to God and let him have it. My name is Brandon Blackson. I'm the associate pastor here. It's so good to be with you. It's great to worship with you this morning. And um, it's, uh, Today we're wrapping up our sermon series called Help, Thanks, Wow, Amen. It's a series on prayer. And we've been talking through these four short prayers that can change your life. And uh, looking at uh, how these simple prayers that you can say at any time in every pl- any place um, can connect us with God, but also that, that even though they're simple, that there's a depth to them, that they help us connect with God in a deep way, and that can strengthen our relationship and help us to see things differently, and ultimately to have our lives transformed. And so we've been going through this, we've been going through help, thanks, and wow, and you know, how do you, whenever you're preaching on, on prayer, how do you end the series? With Amen. It's the most obvious thing, right? So that made a lot of sense whenever we were planning it. And then Pastor John and I were talking this week, and we are like, so what exactly do you say about amen? Like, it's what you say at the end of a prayer, but uh, you can't get a very good sermon out of that. Like, that's, that's pretty much it. And then you have to stop. And, you know, as we were thinking about it, it's one of those words that, you know, we say, that we say, but we don't really know why. We say it at the end of a prayer, and the only really reason that I have for that is, well, whenever my mom would pray for me, um, with me before I went to bed, she said amen, and so I started saying it too. That's, that's it. Is there anything else? I don't know. And, and so we just say it. I mean, it's kind of like at the end of a conversation, you say bye. What does bye mean? I mean, I don't know. I, it's just something that I say because it's, it's what you say. You say bye whenever you're at the end of the conversation, and then you go your separate ways, right? If anyone knows what, what bye actually means, then I'll be out in the gathering space after the service. I would love to know. I know, asking people for things you could have Googled yourself, but I'm, I'm curious. But, but, you know, it's just one of those things that we say without really giving any thought to. And, and yet there's, there's such a depth of meaning in that prayer, and, uh, and I think it can really change our lives whenever we pray it, um, and, and not just pray it occasionally, but whenever it's prayed through our lives, whenever we pray it in a way that it becomes part of us. So that's what we're going to look at today. And, and I really think that, that despite its familiarity, amen may be the scariest of the four prayers that we're talking about. It, it may be the most threatening to us. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you think about it this way, but really all of these prayers that we're talking about require some vulnerability to pray. I mean, to, to pray help, we have to admit to ourselves that we can't do everything. That, that we need God's help with something in our life. To say thanks, we have to recognize that, that we can't provide everything that we need, that we're dependent on God, that we're dependent on others, that other people provide that. 
whenever we pray, wow, we, we realize that, that this universe that God has created is much bigger than us, and, and cosmically, we're like, like dust. Dust is too big, but you, you get the idea, right? I mean, we're, we're tiny. And, and so saying wow is a recognition that, God, you've created this amazing world, and, and I'm just a tiny part of it. There's, there's, we have to admit to ourselves that sometimes we're not as big a deal as we think. At least that's what I have to admit to myself. Your mileage may vary. But there's vulnerability. And, and whenever we pray amen, it's the same thing. We're, and we're not just ending a prayer. We're not just punctuating it. It's not just kind of like punctuation for prayer. But, but we're actually saying, God, as you will, so let it be in my life. We're, we're letting go of control and, and saying amen to what God wants. And that's scary. I like having control. Or at least I like pretending that I have control. Occasionally, I'm, I'm clear enough to know that, that it's an illusion but I, I like that illusion. It's a pleasant one. And, and to let go of that is scary. It's scary. But one of the things that we find is whenever we do submit ourselves to God's will, whenever we release control, our loss of control becomes an immeasurable gain. We gain far more than we lose whenever we let go and allow God's will to take control. And so that's what I hope that you'll see today as we look at the meaning of amen. So what does it mean to say amen? That's, that's where we're starting. As I said, it's one of those words that you just say because, because it's what you say. And, and so what we see, um, whenever you look it up in the dictionary, amen is actually a Hebrew word. Um, a Hebrew word um, pronounced amen, accent on the first syllable, which is kind of hard to say for me, um, that is transliterated into Greek. They just change the alphabet so that it matches. And then in Greek, you, you say amen, and then you translate to English, and it's either Amen or amen, depending on which part of the country you're from. And so, so you can take that to Thanksgiving, and if you're asked to pray, or even better, if, if you are not asked to pray, you can correct the person who prays and say, actually, in Hebrew, it's pronounced amen. And then, see, your family will be so thankful for you. Say, so thank you for that. We're all thankful when we get corrected, right? Yeah, okay. So, so let me know how that goes. You're going to have a great Thanksgiving now. But, uh, but it's a Hebrew word. It means so be it or truly. And it's kind of a difficult word to, to pin down. It has a couple of different um, kind of flavors to it. That's probably not the, the etymological word that you use. But, but it has a, a few different ways that it can be used. And, and in fact, some, some um, dictionaries and lexicons actually say amen is one of the possible translations, which I find profoundly unhelpful. I thought that was a rule in, in definition. You don't get to use the word that you're defining, but um, they're professionals, so maybe they know better than I do. But uh, so be it or truly. And, and then one, um, one of them defines it as a strong affirmation of what has been stated, a strong affirmation. And so you, you know this. Whenever, um, whenever someone says something and someone in the crowd shouts amen, they're affirming what's been said. You don't say amen if you disagree, right? Uh, that's not how it works. You, you say it whenever it means, yes, I agree with this. I, I affirm it. Amen. Or amen, you know, parts of the country. But, uh, but that's, how, that's how it works. It's, it's an affirmation of what's said. And, and so we see a couple of different ways that, that this is used in the scriptures. Um, and, and in fact, Jesus uses it in a particular way that, that's particular only to him. No one else uses it this way in, in the Bible. But, um, but one example of that comes from John chapter 6. And uh, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. It's, it's in the same part of the Gospel of John where Jesus is describing himself as, as the bread of life. But whoever believes has eternal life. And in that sentence, it's, um, the Greek is, Amen, Amen, I tell you. And, and so it's, 
It's, um, you can translate it truly in some, truly, truly, I tell you, very truly, I tell you, sometimes verily. I don't really know what that one means either, but, uh, but they use that. But it's, kind of, it's an emphatic use. And, and so Jesus is basically drawing attention to what he's saying. And it's kind of like exclamation marks at the beginning of the sentence. This part is important. Pay attention to this. Whoever believes has eternal life. Amen, amen, I tell you. Whoever believes has eternal life. And so that's one of the senses that we see used in the scripture. We also see it used differently in the letters of Paul. He talks about kind of the way that um, early Christians used the term in worship. And so this is what he said, In Christ, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. And so he's talking about the amen as kind of a, at that point, a concrete practice of the early Christians. And so um, whenever someone would offer a prayer, um, whenever they would um, give thanks for something, whenever they would share a testimony, any of those things, the, the congregation would say together, amen, at the end of it. And we can see this a little bit more clearly later on. Um, we see gl- bits and pieces of what Christian worship looked like in the New Testament, but it's not until the year 150 that we have a kind of complete line-by-line account of that. And uh, because, you know, they could take for granted that everyone knew what that looked like, but it wasn't until later that uh, outsiders needed to know. And so um, Justin Martyr wrote um, his first apology as a defense of the Christian faith and was writing to those outside the church. And so he described what they did and why they did it and talks about the the Sunday service that the Christians had. And so they would gather, um, they would hear the scripture, um, somebody would preach, and, and then he starts after that and says, when we have finished the prayer... Bread is presented and wine with water. And so in some Christian traditions, even today, water is mixed with the wine whenever they share communion. But they would share communion every time they gathered. And then the president, which is really the person presiding, not like we think of as a president, but essentially the pastor. But the president likewise offers up prayers and thanksgiving. And this is my favorite part. According to his ability. You know, that's still how we do it today. Just according to our ability. You know, what you get is what you get. And we offer it up as best we can. And, uh, and the people assent by saying, Amen. And so in the same way today, whenever you hear us pray in church, one of the things that we often say is, um, and all God's people say, Amen, or all who agree say, Amen. And the reason that we do that is because whenever one of us prays up front with, with a microphone, we're not just praying for ourselves. And we're not even praying on behalf of you, but we're all praying together. And so the way that you participate is that is, is praying at, silently as we pray, but then also assenting to that, basically affirming a strong affirmation as we saw earlier by saying together, amen. And, and so we pray that together. And as we do that, whenever we pray that prayer, we unite in prayer with God's body. It, it binds us together. It, it's saying that this prayer is not just offered on behalf of me or on behalf of you or you, but is, is offered by all of us. As we are one, we offer this prayer to God. And so it unites the people of God, and and we affirm what is being prayed. And so whenever we use that, it's a way of saying, so be it, of of affirming the things that we're offering up and trusting them to God, and saying, God, I I trust you. These are the things that I'm praying for. I trust that you can bring them to pass. But there's also another sense, and in some ways this is the harder sense, of of whenever we're praying that, uh, of saying, not just so be it to my prayers, not just so be it to my will, but God, so be it to your will as well. Jesus taught us, whenever he taught us how to pray, one of the lines that he says was, thy will be done, your will be done. And whenever we say amen, we're not just saying my will be done. God, here's my will, please do it. Let me know whenever you're finished. But God, your will be done. Amen. Of all the things that you desire, God, amen. Let that be true in my life. 
Amen is an affirmation of our prayers, but it's also an affirmation of God's will, of saying, God, let what you desire be done. And so how do we, how do we bring that to pass? How do we actually live that out? One of the, we get a clue in the Psalms, and, uh, and reading Psalm 46 is a way of saying amen, of praying amen to our king, of praying to our king. And, and so we read in this psalm, it's a psalm of, of protection, of, of God's protection for the people of Israel, and, and it talks about God's protection in times of natural disasters, whenever there are earthquakes, whenever um, the, there are storms at sea, whenever all of those things are happening, and it seems like the world is falling apart. If, if it were Oklahoma, it would, it would be tornadoes, but, but it's not. But it talks about all those things that God is our refuge whenever those things are happening. Then it looks at all the things that are whenever we're being threatened from the outside, whenever opposing nations are closing in, whenever we feel like uh, people are coming against us, that God is our refuge in, in that time as well. And so it says, Come behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And so whenever, whenever we're worried about things that are going on outside of us, whenever we're worried about outside threats and sometimes even inside threats, whenever we're worried about the fear of violence, we, we recognize that the one we take refuge is is the one who has power to, to end it all like that, to basically dissolve the weapons of everyone who fights and to end the wars. And uh, that's really comforting whenever we think about it on, on behalf of our enemies. Sometimes that means that the people we really want to fight, that God says no, like, you, you don't get to do that. You don't get to drive them into the ground. You have to stop too. But God can stop all of that. God is the one who is our refuge. And, and so it continues. This is what God said. God says, be still and know that I'm God. And so in this context, that, that kind of has two functions. It's speaking to the people inside who are feeling threatened and saying, it's, it's all right. I, I'm your comfort. Be still and know that I am God, that, that I can handle this that I'm taking care of you, that I'm your refuge in times of trouble. I think it's also a message to the people on the outside who are attacking God's people and saying, be still, I'm God. If you keep this up, this is not going to end well for you. But saying, God has got this. God is taking care of us. And so we can trust God. And so the, the psalmist reminds us that, that in spite of all of our worries, in spite of all of our frantic actions to take care of every eventuality, that, that God is God and we are not that God can do things that, that we can only dream about, and also that God has plans that um, may not coincide with ours. God has desires that may not quite line up with the things that we want, and yet they're for our good. We also see this come out in the New Testament. Uh, Paul talks about it this way, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So in the same way that in the Psalms we see God is above every power that could threaten us, we see in the New Testament that Christ is the king over every other king, over every other nation or power or authority, the one who rules over it all. And so this is how he continues, and he has put all things under his feet, and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we recognize that, that despite whatever we may want, despite whatever powers may seem to have control at any given time, the one who's ultimately in charge is God. The one who is ultimately king is Christ. And that's the one to whom we submit because as the church, as his followers, we're his body. And so as our head goes, so we go. As our head directs us, so we go. We, we submit ourselves to him. 
And so whenever we pray amen, whenever we say so be it, we're submitting ourselves to Jesus, our king. We're saying, Jesus, you are my king. You desire my good. You have power to bring it to pass. I submit myself to you. I offer myself to you. Take me, use me. Let your will be done in me and through me. And so, and so we do this, and, and in part because Jesus has the authority anyway, and it's generally a good idea to, whenever somebody has authority over you to recognize that and play nice with them. But, but it's also because of who he is, right? I mean, Jesus isn't the kind of king who, who looks down on us and says, you know, give me all that you've got, and then maybe I, I won't smite you, or, you know, keep it in line or else you're really going to be in trouble. But he's someone who loves us. And we see this nowhere more clearly than on the cross. You remember that he, at his crucifixion, he was recognized as a king, albeit mockingly. But as he was crucified, there was a sign above him that said, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Of course, it was used derisively, and no king uh, was going to be crucified. There's clear evidence that he didn't have any authority. And people were mocking him and saying, okay, if you are son of the, God, bring, the son of God, bring yourself down, let yourself down from the cross. And even one of the thieves who was crucified with him began to mock him. But one of the other thieves re- rebuked him and said, look, he's innocent. We deserve what we've gotten, but he doesn't deserve to be here. He's innocent. And then the thief looked at Jesus and said this. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, one of the things that is so striking to me about this is that Jesus was hanging from a cross, suffocating at a time when every breath was, was difficult, and yet found time whenever someone reached out to him to bless him. Think about a time that you've really been in pain. Are you, are you fit to be around? Are you ever really, really pleasant to others whenever you're in pain? I'm not. Like, even whenever I'm working out, which is, for me, a, a relatively low level of pain, like, don't talk to me or bother me. I've been, are you familiar with planks, where you, like, lay on the ground and, and it builds your ab strength? So I was doing that for, like, 10 seconds, like, really long. That's, that's very difficult if you don't know anything about planks. <laughs> but, and, and, but I remember once someone came up and, and was, like, thought it would be funny to pretend like they were stepping on me to increase the weight and didn't actually touch me, but I was like, you better get out of here right now because I'm dying. This is not funny. But, but in those moments, it's, I, I'm not worried about anyone else. All I can focus on is, is my pain. And here we have this moment when, when Jesus' pain was excruciating whenever he was literally dying and someone reached out to him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said... Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And also a reminder that even though it looked like he was losing, that he was dying, he was still in control. He still controlled the kingdom, and what he said went. And what we see in that is Jesus is the kind of king who suffers for our good, not not who seeks the good of himself at the expense of others, but who desires our good so highly, so much, that he's willing to suffer and die on our behalf. And whenever I see that from him, of course I want to follow him. If, if I have a king who would do that for me, of course I want to give him everything. It's like whenever you, have, whenever you have a manager or a leader who's willing to sacrifice on your behalf, of course you want to follow them. And whenever we look to Jesus and see that, that loving me is his top priority, that he'll put everything on the line for me, yes, God, take my whole life. It's yours. Amen. So be it as you desire. Use me how you will. Allow me to be part of what you're doing. And, and so we offer that to Christ. We offer and say, here you are, Lord. Amen. 
I am yours. In everything that I have, in everything that I am, let your will be done. And so we strive to live that way. But I know that those moments of clarity pass, right? I'm like, I know I said that, but my will is looking pretty good now. I don't know about all those things, you know. I was probably caught up in the moment, and that's kind of, you know, religious enthusiasm caught me over. I'm going to go. And so, so we need help living that amen, right? We pray it, and we really mean it when we pray it. But then it's like whenever we get back into the world, whenever we get into our daily routines, it's difficult to maintain. And so what we need is help. We need a, a discipline that can help us to continue to pray that, to continue to mean it, and then to live it out. And so what Richard Foster talks about as, as this kind of prayer is covenant prayer. He says, covenant prayer is a profound interior heart call to a God-intoxicated life, a life in which God is in everything, that God fills everything, and, and that we are just totally inspired by God's presence and God's will, where we seek to follow God in everything. But what he says is that, that we, need, we need a strong prayer life to be able to maintain that because it's not something that we can do on our own. But as we pray, God shapes us and forms us and makes us able to obey His will and helps us to follow it. And, and so through obedience, our whole life becomes an amen to God's will. And so what does that look like? Well, I mean, it looks kind of like training. I mean, it looks like training for anything else, the way that, that we become stronger, that we become able to, to do things that we were previously a, unable to do, is by practicing them. And so we've offered these prayers, these four prayers, help, thanks, wow, amen. The, the beautiful thing about them is you can pray them at any time, in any place. Whenever you're, something is difficult is happening and you need help, you can just pray help. You don't even have to have the words to articulate it. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to come to the sanctuary or, or have a certain time like, okay, God will be with you in about 30 minutes and just hold on until then. You just say help. And, and that's a really beautiful part of these prayers. They, we can say thanks at any time and wow. But the way that we get there, because we can pray those at any time, but the way that we actually become aware of our need to pray them is through discipline. One of the things that John Dalrymple says is this, the truth is we only learn to pray all the time everywhere when we have resolutely set about praying some of the time somewhere. And so whenever we have that, that discipline of prayer, that regular prayer life, we're able then to take it out into, into our everyday lives. We're able to be aware at every moment of those opportunities that we have to ask for help, to say thanks, to say wow whenever we're overcome because we're paying attention. But that's been instilled with us through that discipline. And so Foster talks about these two covenants that, that we can live out as, as God makes covenant with us. The way that we live it out with God is through these two covenants. He talks first about the covenant of time. He says, we'll never have time for prayer. We must make time. This is not going to surprise anyone, but saying I'm going to do that whenever I have time is a good way not to do something, right? I mean, that's true in my life. The, the fact that I'm not running the Route 66 marathon today is because that was my training plan, and it did not work out very well. I ran like six times this entire year. But we know you don't get in shape by, by working out whenever you have time to. The way that it works is by saying, okay, I'm going to get up at 6 and go to the gym, or after work I'm going to go straight there, and, and then maintaining that. And so the way that we grow in prayer isn't by just saying, yes, I'll pray whenever I have time, but, but saying, well, I'm going to maintain this discipline. I'm going to show up at this time and, and spend time with God. And so what that looks like with me, I've shared a little bit about this with you the last couple of weeks, but for me, if, and if I'm going to be successful in this, I've got to get up before anybody else. Once my daughter is awake, like, 
we're in the morning routine and we just got to get out the door and, and I am not going to have any clarity of thought because it's, it's, just, it's just chaos. Most of that probably derives from me, but, but it's chaos nonetheless. And, and so I need that time. I need to get up before, before anyone else is awake and spend that time with God. And whenever I'm really doing that well, then I'll, I'll, the night before, before I get ready for bed, I'll get my Bible out and set it in my, in my place and, and get out my disciple manual. That's when I do my disciple Bible readings, but, um, and I get those ready. And then all I have to do is get out of bed and show up, and, and it's all there. And, and so we need that time, though, and, and this depends on, on your personality. It depends on where you are in your life. If you have a newborn and you think you're going to set aside an hour and just really focus on praying at a stretch, you're going to have a really nice nap. Like, it's not going to work. And so you've got to think, you know, maybe rocking, whenever I'm rocking the baby back to sleep, that's a great time to spend with God in prayer. But recognizing where you are, if you're a night owl, if, if, you're, a, um, if you're a morning person, whatever that is, figuring out what is that time. But then once you figure it out, really sticking with it, saying this is a priority. I'm going to spend time with God because this is most important. The second covenant that he talks about is the covenant of place. And what he says is the covenant of place gives us focus. It gives us focus. And, and so one of the ways that, that I've figured out how place can help us to focus was whenever we were trying to sell my dad's house, and I was kind of uh, maintaining it and helping. Uh, I was going to say fixing it up, but mostly I watched while other people fixed it up. But I would go up there. It was about a 45-minute drive from where we lived, and, and I would mow the lawn. That was a really bad idea. I don't know why I thought I could mow the lawn. It, the neighbors didn't really like the results of that. But, I, but I'd go up there and mow the lawn, and one day I'd spend a few hours there and um, came home. And, and the way that I took home took me by a Brahms. So I thought, I've worked really hard today. I think I've deserved a shake. And, and so whether I deserved it or not, I don't know. But I did buy one and have one. And, and so that was great. So a week passed, or maybe two weeks if I was behind in my mowing duties, and, and I was driving home again, and you know what I passed? A Brahms. And what did I think? I think a shake would be nice. And so after that, every time I passed, you know, whether I'd worked hard or just, you know, checked the locks to make sure everything was okay, I stopped at Brahms and got a shake. It had become a habit. I didn't ever drive by that Brahms at any other time, but whenever I was coming home from my dad's house, I would always stop because whenever I was in that place, what my brain told me was, Brahms, get a shake. It was really good. But that's the way that that place can affect our thoughts. And so if you read about what sleep scientists say, what do they say about your bed? Like, only sleep there. If you're playing on your phone in your bed, then that's where your brain is going to go. And so you won't be able to fall asleep whenever you need to. Or, um, you know, if, if there's a place, the, the place on your couch where you watch TV is probably um, not going to be a good place to do reading because you'll always be tempted to pick up the remote because the places where we do things um, encode into our brain. And whenever we're in them, then it becomes a cue to, to do that thing. And, and so whenever you're thinking about how can I, where is my place that I can spend time with God, the, the way that you can think about that is what is setting aside a place where you can only spend that time with God. And so again, in our house, we have a six-person dining room table. We have three people, which means we, we eat on this half, and then this half is for mail, and uh, we just throw it on there. And so what, what I did was, you know, I kind of figured out I didn't have a good place in this house, so I, I cleared off the spot at the head of the table, and that's now my prayer spot. And so uh, that's where my Bible goes, and, and it's ready. But that's the only thing that I do in that place. And so whenever I sit down, my brain knows that this is the time that we spend with God. This is the time that is dedicated to this. 
And then over time, that, that place begins to encode that habit. And, and so whenever we're there, we're ready for it and we even desire it because we know this is, this is what this place is for. This is the sweet place where I get to meet with God and to spend time with him. And so we have the covenant of time and the covenant of place. Because we can pray help, thanks, and wow at any time, but they only become part of us when we pray them regularly. We need that regular prayer until they become habits, until they become like second nature to, to say to God, thank you, whenever we are blessed, whenever we're, we, we feel wonder to, to say wow to God, to ask for help whenever we need it. And then it overflows not just into our prayer time, but into every aspect of our life. And as we pray those prayers, our lives change. Surely you found this to be true. Whenever we consistently say thanks, we become more grateful. We're, we're not the same. We're not worried about the things that we can get. We're thankful for the things that we have. And whenever we pray any of those prayers, it overflows into the rest of our lives and changes us and helps us to live it out, helps us to, to covenant with God, to, to live fully for God, to say amen, let your will be done in my life. Because whenever we pray amen, it's not just the end of a prayer. It's the beginning of a life aligned with the reign of God's love in the world. Because God is moving in the world. God is acting. God is seeking out our love. And just as Jesus reached out to, to that, the thief on the cross who, who was reaching out to him, God is working in so many ways to spread his love. And whenever we commit ourselves, we get to become a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. So much bigger than anything that we could have desired. So much bigger than our desires for ourselves. Because God knows the heart of our desire and can fulfill them in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. And whenever we submit ourselves to God, whenever we allow that amen to permeate our lives, we become caught up in God's love and we can go to places we never went before. We can soar on the wings of God's love and experience them in every aspect of our lives. So as we try to live this out, I want to give you a few action steps for this week. So uh, first, I want you to say amen to the place in your life where God is calling you to obedience. I wonder if there's a place in your life where there's been this kind of nagging sense in the back of your head, and you've tried to keep it at arm's length, and you're like, I know that would be a good idea. I know maybe I ought to do that, but I'm not really interested right now. Thank you, God. We'll talk later. Maybe whenever it's a good time for me, we'll do that. And so I wonder, is there any place like that in your life? Maybe, maybe it's someone in your life that God's calling you to reach out to or, or to be there for and, and just to check in on them and make sure they're okay. Maybe there's a, a habit that you've been holding on to that God is like, you know, if you would let go of this, things would be a lot better. And you're like, I know, but no thanks. Maybe it's time to let go. Maybe there's something else you've been holding on to that, that is not good for you. And it's time to let go and trust God. Maybe there's a big step that, you're try that, that God has for you. Maybe it's a, a new vocation, a new way of serving, something else that, that God is calling you to, that, that if you only open yourself, if you only say amen, that it would change everything. What is that? What is that in your life? Maybe something small, maybe something life-changing. Say yes. Say amen to God's will in your life. And then create a covenant of time and place with God. Create a covenant of time. Create a place. Say, God, this is going to be your time. We're going to spend time together in a prayer, and I'm going to be faithful to that. And help me be faithful to that. And this is the place where we're going to do it. Don't wait on until you have time. Don't wait until you finally get around to adding on that addition that you've been meaning to add on for the last decade. It's not. I mean, maybe it'll happen, but there'll be it'll be full as soon as you are ready. But dedicate a place, dedicate a time, and spend that time with God. 
because God shapes us whenever we do that and forms us. And as we do that, our life overflows with God's love and becomes an amen. I want to show you a video of what that can look like whenever we do. We end tonight with a magic moment at a symphony concert that is still reverberating. Here's Steve Hartman with tonight's On the Road. They are some of the best classical musicians in the country. But at one performance last May by the Handel and Haydn Society in Boston, the most memorable moment didn't come from anyone on stage at Symphony Hall. It came from the audience, right at the very end of Mozart's Masonic funeral music. Listen. Did you hear that? Someone yelled, wow, and it resonated, not just in this hall, but throughout the classical music community. Which is why the president of the Handel and Haydn Society was absolutely thrilled. I was like, that's fantastic. This is David Sneed. And also there's a sense of wonder in that wow. David was so smitten by the outburst, as was the audience, that he decided to try to find the voice responsible. Like, who was that? Because he really touched my life in a way that I'll never forget. This reminds me a little bit of Cinderella. You're trying to find somebody who was at the ball, but you had no way of finding them. <laughs> so they didn't have email back then, huh? You wrote to everybody in the audience. Wrote to everybody in the audience. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, that email found its way to concert-goer Stephen Matten. We did dash out like, like we were turning into pumpkins. Stephen was there with his nine-year-old grandson, Ronan. Ronan is the one who shouted, wow, which surprised Stephen more than anyone because he just doesn't do that. You know, usually he's in a world by himself. Ronan, what do you see? Ronan is autistic and considered nonverbal. But clearly, music may be a wormhole into his heart and mind. As a thank you, David arranged for a private cello performance for Ronan. And just a few weeks ago, a meeting with the entire orchestra. But Ronan's family says all thanks should go to David and the Handel and Haydn musicians who made that moment possible. They say just hearing Ronan's reaction after being told for years he might never engage. What more can you say but thank you? And wow. What do you think? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Boston. Beautiful story. Whenever we say yes... Whenever we say amen, things change. Lives are changed. People who were not supposed to be able to speak find voice and fill an entire auditorium with it. And when someone listens and seeks them out, they can bless that family and all of the people who are connected to it. Because whenever we say amen to God's will, we become part of a movement that's about nothing less than the restoration of all things about making every single thing the way that God intended it to be, of restoring every heart, every life, the world, as we can only dream of it. And God invites us to be a part of that. God desires for us to be a part of it. And we can. All we have to do is say amen. Can we do it, church? Let's say it together. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for the wonderful plans that you have for the world, the wonderful dreams that you have, and God, we want to be a part of those. 
We want them to be true in our lives. We want them to be true in the world. And so, God, we pray, so be it. Amen. Let our lives be an amen to all that you want, all that you desire. And through us, let your love flow. Let those who have no voice speak. Let those who are hungry have food. Let those who are hopeless find hope. Let all be filled with you. Let all be filled with the love of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.